Well, let me begin today's lesson by giving you a key underlying principle that will be the foundation, I think, for this whole series of lessons on the purpose of fellowship over the next couple of months. I want you to get this. Fill in the blanks there at the top of your notes. When you come into a personal relationship with Christ, you also come into a personal relationship with other Christians. When, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we become a believer, when we become a Christian, when we bow our knee to the cross and embrace Jesus as the forgiver and the leader of life, when we come into that relationship that's so precious with Christ, we also come into a relationship with other Christians. Belonging to a local body or a family of believers is as much a part of being a Christian as belonging to Christ Himself. And God desires every Christ follower to be a functioning part of His church, partnering with others in an irresistible community where people discover and develop a life-changing relationship with Christ. Again and again, New Testament writers urge Christians to engage in specific activities that would enable the community of believers to function effectively and to grow spiritually. And frequently they used a unique word to describe this mutual and reciprocal process. The Greek word alelon. Alelon. Boy, when you say it, it almost sounds like all alone. <laughs> but it means quite the opposite. Because it talks about togetherness. In fact, the word is most often translated one another. The word's used 59 times, by the way, in the New Testament. And I provided, as you see, a little supplemental list of all of those passages in the New Testament where this word is, in fact, used. You can look at that later. <laughs> Now obviously, some of these injunctions are repeated several times, such as the 16 times that we are commanded to love one another. Love one another. <laughs> In fact, I would say to you this morning that I think that's the primary command, okay? Of all of the one another's in the New Testament, at the core of it all is this command that we are to love one another. Here's just a sampling of some of these love one another verses. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 John chapter 3. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. Ah. We should love one another. 
And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. A chapter later, 1 John 4, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And on and on we could go 16 times. (laughs) Love one another. The question is, how? (laughs) How do we really love one another? And I believe that the answer to that question is found in all of the other one another passages. You see, 16 times we are commanded to love one another, and there's a typo, and that's my fault. 43 times all the other one another passages, we're told what that love for one another ought to look like. These are the examples of how to really love. One another. So over the next seven Sundays, we're going to be digging into what the Bible teaches us about how to really love one another. And based upon some of these key one another passages, we're going to take a closer look at how real love is to be demonstrated in a community of believers like Springville Church of the Nazarene. And as much as possible, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to be candid and straightforward. We're going to make every effort to apply these principles in practical and measurable ways. Our end objective in all of this is to sharpen our fellowship skills, if you will, to the point that what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Thessalonica would also be said of Springville Naz, your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Ah, may that be us. And so we begin this new series today with a lesson I've entitled How to Develop Authentic Relationships. Focusing on the first key one another passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. In fact, from the New American Standard Version, let's read this out loud together. Would you read this with me? So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now don't pass over that phrase. Members of one another. What's that mean? Before we work our way verse by verse through today's text in Romans 12 and discover what it does mean to be members of one another, let's just stop right here and let's ask God to speak to us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that You would open our eyes to see, that You would open our ears to hear, that You would open our minds to understand that You would open our hearts to receive the truth that You want us to hear and know and take to heart that will change our lives. Speak to us from Your Word today, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,
Amen. Okay. Let's begin our Bible study today by reading through this entire text. And then we'll take time to break it down verse by verse and phrase by phrase. But first of all, follow along then in your Bible. Romans chapter 12. We pick it up with verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let's go back to verse 3 and start there, shall we? Look at it again in your Bible. Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Notice how some other versions or translate or paraphrase this same verse. The Amplified. For by the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned him by God. J.B. Phillips. As your spiritual teacher, I give this piece of advice to each one of you. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. The message. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as everyone does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. So what's the Apostle Paul saying really in this verse? Let's zero in on two commandments. First, I want you to notice the negative command. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Literally, the Greek here is do not overthink. <laughs> we would use the word exaggerate. It's simply a warning against feelings of importance. <laughs> Boy, this church couldn't get along without me. <laughs> Pride, arrogance, self-promotion. But I want you to notice alongside that the positive command. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Literally, think reasonably. Think sensibly. Think soberly. 
In other words, each and every one of us needs to have an honest, balanced, objective view of our strengths, yes, but also of our weaknesses. Who we really are, not what we think we are. Now, the phrase at the end of verse 3, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you, is a reference, as we'll see in the verses to follow, to our God-given gifts and skills that we possess. Now, around Springfield Naz, we call that your shape. S-H-A-P-E. Simply, your spiritual gifts, your heart or your passion, your abilities or skills, your personality or temperament, and your experiences. God uses those five things, the Bible teaches us, to shape us into the unique and significant individuals that each one of us is. Simply put, God's measured out to each of us a unique shape that's appropriate to or corresponds to His or her own faith. And it's our faith that determines the limits within which our shape can be exercised. By the way, a little side note here. As we preach on purpose this year, you know, we talked about worship evangelism, now we're talking about fellowship. Then we're going to talk about discipleship. Guess what? A couple of months from now, we're going to talk about ministry. (laughs) And when we get to that purpose a couple of months from now, we're going to really, really, really look at shape. (laughs) And we're going to help you, I hope, to discover and develop your unique and significant shape. But for today, the bottom line here in Romans 12 and verse 3, is that a Christian must not think of himself or herself as any more or any less than what his or her God-given shape really is. Which brings us then to verses 4 and 5. Look at them again in your Bible. Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, verse 5, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, here's how some other versions translate or paraphrase these same two verses. The Amplified. For as in one physical body we have many parts and all of these parts do not have the same function or use, so we numerous as we are are one body in Christ the Messiah and individually we are parts of one another mutually dependent upon one another. The Living Bible. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, you understand that, right? So it is with Christ's body, the church. We're all parts of it and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do. See, we're all shaped differently. That's what he's saying. So we belong to each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, I belong to you. That's a unique thought, huh? We belong to each other and each, hear this, each needs all 
the others. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. The message. In this way, we're like various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. I love the way he says that. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people, the church. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of His body. But if it is a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Now, of course, this is not the only place in the New Testament where this analogy of the church as a body is discussed. Perhaps the best known passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I meant to put that in your notes, so write it down, would you, right now? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, especially verses 12 through 27. When you get home later, read that. So what's Paul saying here in verses 4 and 5 by using this analogy of the body? Well, I think at least these two things. First of all, in the phrase, can't see it. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, I think Paul's reminding us here of our diversity. Indeed, we do all have different shapes, don't we? (laughs) And then in the phrase, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, or as I think is better translated in the New American Standard Version, we're individually members of one another. Paul is reminding us that in spite of our diversity, we still have harmony. Folks, there is a, a oneness in the church that you will find nowhere else on this earth. That's the way God designed it to be. Which brings us to verses 6 through 8. Look at them there in your Bible again, would you? Follow along as I read. Romans 12, verse 6, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. If it is working with children, let him do it with everything he's got. If it's playing the piano, play it beautifully. I just thought I'd add that. You get the point of what he's saying? Personally, I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases these verses because I think it captures the heart of the text the best. It says... God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. He shaped us all differently. Right? Okay. (laughs) There are some things you can do 
I really stink at. <laughs> there are things I can do. You don't do so well. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then prophesy whenever you can, as often as your faith is strong enough to receive a message from God. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If you're a preacher, see to it that your sermons are strong and helpful. If God has given you money, be generous in helping others with it. If God has given you administrative ability and put you in charge of the work of others, take the responsibility seriously. Those who offer comfort to the sorrowing should do so with Christian cheer. So what's the Apostle Paul saying here in verses 6-8? through I think it's pretty simple, really. Whatever your shape is, Minister wholeheartedly. Offer the best of your time and effort. Go for excellence. Give it all you got. In the church, we do not settle for second best. We do not say, well, that's good enough. No, we go for excellence. We give it everything we've got because we're serving God. Now just imagine how each and every one of us, if we just had this attitude, how love would flow in and through the church as we serve God together. Wow. Now that leads us to draw some conclusions. So what? How is Romans 12 verses 3 through 8 relevant to Springville Church of the Nazarene, us, today? What are some specific ways we can apply this morning's lesson to our lives, both individually and congregationally? As we consider how to develop authentic relationships, I mean, I'm talking about the real relationships that you desire, that I desire, that God desires. How to really love one another. As we consider how to develop authentic relationships, let me draw these three conclusions. Number one, authentic relationships are developed through humility. Authentic relationships, the real thing, loving one another, those relationships are developed through humility. Once again, read Romans 12 and verse 3 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In a word, humility. Now the dictionary defines humility as having a modest sense of one's own merit, being free from pride or vanity, being unassuming, Unpretentious. I think true humility is best described as having an accurate view of yourself. Especially in relationship to God and in relationship to others. Having an accurate view of yourself in relationship to God and in relationship to others. Someone put it this way. Humility is not thinking of yourself as less than others. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. (laughs) 
And the truth is, folks, nobody wants to be around somebody whose every thought and action seems to revolve around I, me, my, mine. Isn't that true? That's right. Proverbs 18, verse 1 puts it this way. The person who is selfish and thinks only of himself is what? Without friends. Well, no, duh. Again, true humility is having an accurate view of self, especially in relationship to God and to others. It's being in touch with one's own strengths and weaknesses. It's being unpretentious, without hypocrisy, transparent, vulnerable. It's being the real deal. This is who I really am in my relationship with God and in my relationship with other people. And so each of us needs to ask ourselves this question. Am I living with a humble, accurate view of myself? Am I living with a humble, accurate view of myself? Because, you see, first, authentic relationships are developed through humility. Number two, authentic relationships are developed through unity. Authentic relationships, the real relationships we all desire, the fellowship that we're talking about here, the, 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 the how to really love one another, those kinds of loving relationships are developed through unity. Once again, we read in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In a word, unity. Now the dictionary defines unity as the state of fact or fact of being one. A quality of general concord, mutual understanding, agreement, harmony, singleness, or constancy of purpose or action. I read those definitions and I go, I'm going to show you real unity this morning, okay? I'm a coffee lover. And I thought that this video clip helps us to capture the meaning of unity a little bit better. How do we define the word unity? After all, we hear it all the time. Unity in jobs, unity in our schools, and unity in our church. But what is the implication behind the word? Is it nothing more than a group of people working, learning, or worshiping together, loosely linked by a common goal or belief? Perhaps unity begins as nothing more than an empty cup. A framework created to house something bigger than itself. A vehicle built to contain a combination of ingredients, each with their own special qualities that make them unique. Each consisting of elements and properties that make it perfectly suited to fulfill its purpose. Together, each piece makes its own valuable contribution, regardless of its use as a singular item. Individually, each element is by no means worthless, but when combined together by the hands of a skilled creator, they become something wonderful. A delicious blend of unity. I want a cup of coffee now. But that's our culture right there, isn't it? Coffee? I mean, we talk about all these coffee houses. I mean, 
For each a bean, folks. And no two beans are alike. But under the hands of the master barista. Yeah. Sometimes I think we confuse uniformity with unity. And they're vastly different, by the way. Uniformity is where everyone looks and acts the same. The cookie-cutter approach. Every bean looks just like every other bean. Well, obviously... Hey, take a look around you this morning. That's not the church. (laughs) We're all very different. There's a great variety and diversity among us. Or as the Apostle Paul put it here in Romans 12 and verse 4, we're one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Herein lies the challenge. Unity with diversity. As the video just portrayed, in spite of all these differences, to be blended together with each other by the Creator God, the Master Barista, into a finished product of His glory. Just what He desires. That didn't come easily. That's why there's so many passages of Scripture urging us to pursue and to preserve Unity. Let me just give you a few of them. John chapter 17. What did Jesus pray for, by the way, right before He left this earth? What was His number one desire for all of His followers? John 17. He prayed that all of them, that's all of us, may be one, Father, just as You are in Me and I am in You, may they also be in us, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and You in Me. May they be brought to complete unity. That was his prayer. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, May God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify God. You're all one Am I? Ah, thank you. See, I need you. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Let's read this one out loud together. I appeal to you that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Man, I want to be a part of that church. Ephesians 4 verse 3. Make it your aim to be one in the Spirit. Yes, make every effort possible to keep this unity alive and well. And on and on we could go with verse after verse about unity. So here's the question each and every one of us needs to ask ourselves. Am I making every effort to pursue and preserve unity? Ask yourself that question. Am I making every effort to pursue and preserve unity in the church? Because second, authentic relationships are developed through unity. Number three, authentic relationships are developed through ministry. Authentic relationships, the real relationships, the loving one another relationships, the kind of relationship you want and I want, God wants. Those relationships are developed through ministry. Now, I won't reread Romans 12, verses 6-8, through but I'll only summarize these verses in one word, and that word is ministry. Let me cut to the bottom line here. One of the best ways... Hear me on this. 
One of the best ways to develop authentic relationships is simply to roll up your sleeves and jump in with both feet and begin serving God alongside other people. When you discover and develop your shape and get involved in ministry and partnership with other believers in the local church, folks, that is where relationships are developed that will last for eternity. I love the way the message paraphrases Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13. Would you please read it out loud with me? Church leaders are to train Christians in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed without and within, fully alive like Christ. I want to be a part of that church. That's all I want to do. That's the church I want to be a part of. How about you? ministry. So here's the question that we need to each ask ourselves. Am I actively serving alongside other believers in ministry? Ask yourself that question right now. Am I actively serving alongside other believers in ministry today? Three conclusions to be drawn from today's study of Romans 12 verses 3-8. through What it means to be... Members of one of the three questions that we need to ask ourselves. Number one, am I living with a humble, accurate view of myself? And secondly, am I making every effort to pursue and preserve unity? And then, am I actively serving alongside other believers in ministry? Humility, unity, ministry. That's the way to begin to develop authentic relationships. Which brings us then to a time of decision. How to really love one another. This morning we have taken a closer look at Romans 12, verses 3-8. through How to develop authentic relationships. And as we close, I want to draw your attention to the three take-home projects at the end of your lesson notes. Do you see them there? Just kind of follow along quickly. As I said at the beginning of today's lesson, during these seven weeks, as much as possible, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to be candid and straightforward. We're going to make every effort to apply these principles we learned in practical and measurable ways. So here's some homework for us. (laughs) That didn't end here this morning. You understand that, right? I've given you three projects. First, a humility project. The question here is, am I living with a humble, accurate view of myself? So I've asked you to do a little self-evaluation in that regard and read through Psalm 139, asking God to search you and to reveal to you your strengths and your weaknesses, to give you a true picture of who you are. Secondly, I've asked you to continue that process by asking others to evaluate you. Find two or three family members who will tell it like it is. Who know you well and aren't afraid to tell you. And ask them to evaluate your own strengths and weaknesses. Especially note, hear me, any blind spots. We all have them. Secondly, there's a unity project. The question here is, am I making every effort to pursue and preserve unity? And so I've asked you the question 
Have you done or said... You know, what have you done or said that has caused any discord or disunity in the church? Gossip, backbiting, disrespect, critical spirit, whatever it may be. Anything? Uh, Don't answer too quickly. Spend some time praying about that one. And then read through... Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35. And after you've read Jesus' words there, and you ponder them, to whom do you need to extend forgiveness? And with whom do you need to seek reconciliation? If there's anybody in the body of Christ right here with whom you have anything amiss, it's time to take care of it. Now the third project is a ministry project. And the question is, am I actively serving alongside other believers in ministry? And so I've asked you to just take the time and effort to discover your shape. Now, again, let me just say this. We'll be doing this together on Sunday mornings in a couple of months, but in the meantime, we're going to make a shape workbook available to everyone who wants one. I hope to have it ready today, but because of my health issues recently, I hope you'll forgive me. I didn't get it done. We'll get it to you here in the next week or two. Besides that, I think I gave you enough homework already in humility and unity, huh? <laughs> By the way, let me just say this. I, I, I got, you know... Don't wait until you have fully discovered your shape before you jump into ministry. If you're here as a part of our body here, the family of God at Springville Church of the Nazarene, we'll go ahead and jump in, man. The best way, the best way to develop those authentic relationships is just to link arms with other believers, join hands with other believers, and get busy. If you have questions about that, like, well, where can I serve? Man, don't be afraid to ask me that question. I got an answer. <laughs> so that's our homework. Make sense? Okay. Let's close by reading one more time Romans 12, verse 5, out loud together. Would you read this with me? So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. <sighs> yeah, let's be so. Here, Springville Church of the Nazarene.